Welcome to your podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Patrick Wainwright, and thank you for joining me today. One of the greatest difficulties that you might encounter when talking about the Church or when encouraging people to return to the Catholic Church is that there are so many Christian religions, denominations, so many churches, so to speak. So many that some groups have chosen to be non-denominational, which might not make a lot of sense if we think that Jesus indeed established one church. So today, I'll talk about how the church Christ established is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And this should help us strengthen our knowledge about the faith and also learn to recognize which is the true church of Christ. I'd like to share with you the story of a saint who worked tirelessly for the unity of the Catholic Church. It is the story of Saint Josephat. He was born with the name John Kunshevich in 1580 in a town called Vladimir. Back then, it was a part of, Polish king of the Polish kingdom, but today is on the western side of Ukraine. His parents were of Ruthenian origin. As far as their religion, they were members of the Eastern Rite Church of Kiev in Ukraine. Now at that time, that particular church was separated from the Catholic Church in Rome. When he was around 15 years old, the bishops of the Ukrainian and Belarusian churches voted to become united to the Catholic Church, that is, the Church of Rome under the Pope, while they also wanted to maintain some of their traditions and rites for the celebration of the Mass and the sacraments. That voting and that event was called the Union of Brest, signed in 1598. However, many bishops of that Ukrainian church that used to be separated from Rome did not want to be united to the Holy Father, the Pope. Now, around that time, John decided to enter a Basilian monastery and there took the name of Josephat for his religious, as a religious monk. He was called Josephat. He wanted to offer his prayers and his sacrifices for all those who had refused to become united to the Catholic Church. Later in 1609, he became a priest and through his apostolic work, many people changed their lifestyles and embraced the path to holiness. He worked to help the poor and the homeless and made great efforts to help people understand the importance of not only being followers of Jesus Christ, but of being in union with his church, the church that was founded by Christ, the church that, it, that had its visible head in the Pope, the Bishop of Rome. So after some years as a priest, Josephat was made Bishop of Plock, which is today in Poland. One of his main efforts was to obtain the union of as many people as possible with the Catholic Church. Many people were still part of the Orthodox Church, which, while Christian in many ways, 
it was still schismatic or separated from the Catholic Church, separated from the Pope. His main opponents were an Orthodox bishop and many of his followers who were preachers sent by the Greek Orthodox Church to prevent precisely the reunion of so many people with the Catholic Church because St. Josephat was very successful. So successful he was in bringing people into full communion with the Catholic Church in Rome that his opponents decided to eliminate him permanently and started plotting to see how they would kill him. So while St. Josephat was in a visit to Belarus, he was cruelly attacked and killed on November 12, 1623. Now this is what happened. A mob of people aligned under the Orthodox Church attacked the house where St. Josephat Joseph was staying. The saint came out uh, to a sort of courtyard that they had in the house and uh, started talking and pleading with the attackers to spare at least because he noticed that they were going to kill him. So he tried to plead with the attackers to spare the other companions and the other people that were working in that house. The mob stopped for a moment but then two guys from among the crowd attacked St. Josephat and slid his head with axes, then shot him, and after stripping him, they allowed some wild dogs to eat his body. This is why sometimes St. Josephat is portrayed with an axe on, in his, on his head. Finally, they threw him into a river with some stones to weigh his uh, body down so that it would sink. Now later, his body was recovered by the Catholics, and it was later buried at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which, if you go to St. Peter's Basilica, you can visit the tomb where St. Josephat is buried and kept. Now many miracles followed his death, but among the most important miracles was the conversion of the people who had murdered him, and in particular, the bishop who had been his opponent during his lifetime. So let us pray to St. Joseph, not only for the current political difficulties that are taking place in Ukraine these days, as you know, but also for all the people of Ukraine. Especially, let us pray that we may always be faithful to the Catholic Church in Rome, and that many people may be united to the Catholic Church. And this is something that springs from our prayer in the Nicene Creed. There in the Nicene Creed, which the Church has prayed on Sunday Masses since the 4th century. Christians say, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. So these are the four notes, four notes, or four main external characteristics of the Church founded by Jesus Christ. Above all, the Church is one. One, in the sense that our Lord Jesus Christ established only one church. And it is one in the sense that it has to be united under one head, which is the Roman pontiff, the bishop of Rome, the pope. The church is one because of its source, which is the one God. In the trinity of persons, but one God. The church is one because her founder is one, Jesus Christ, who is God. The church is also one because its soul is one, and that soul is the Holy Spirit. The church is one 
because it has but one faith, the Catholic faith, revealed by Jesus Christ and preserved through the magisterium of the church. It has also one sacramental life, that is, the seven sacraments instituted by Christ. And it has one apostolic succession, one common hope in eternal life. And it is one in the same charity. Now, this unity being one does not imply that there cannot be diversity of liturgical traditions, liturgical cultures and devotions within the one church. Because there are many rites in the liturgy of the church. Normally, these rites are very ancient and connected to different cultures and ways of life, as, for example, the uh, liturgical rite that St. Josephat celebrated. It was not exactly the same as the Roman rite that we we celebrated in the Latin church. It was a different rite, but he was still under the Pope in Rome, in the unity of the church. However, it is important to understand that despite, in spite of this diversity, which is valid and uh, actually very good to have, there is unity given by external visible bonds of unity of, or bonds of communion. And these bonds are, first of all, the profession of the same faith rece- received from the apostles. A second bond of unity is the common celebration of divine worship, or the liturgy, especially the seven sacraments. Another bond is the common apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders that comes, this succession, apostolic succession, comes in an uninterrupted continuity from the the apostles, the twelve apostles, and their successors. And finally, one of the most visible bonds of unity is the obedience and submission to the visible representative of Christ in the world, which is the Holy Father, the Pope, who is the successor of St. Peter as Bishop of Rome, and is today Pope Francis. Now, secondly, the Holy Church, we said, is holy, is one and holy. Now, the Church is holy because her founder, Jesus Christ, who is God, is holy. She is holy because the Holy Spirit vivifies her. She is holy because through her, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the faithful, her members, and produces fruits of holiness. And in fact, many, many saints, men and women of different cultures and statuses and society have become holy thanks to the action of the Holy Spirit. This sanctification of the Holy Spirit of the faithful is done primarily through the sacraments that are the channels through which we know we can receive sanctifying grace. The sacraments are the main objective channel or conduit, if you want, through which we can receive the forgiveness of our sins and through which God gives us his sanctifying grace, which is a means of salvation. So in such a way that we do not know any other visible, ordinary means of sanctification than those sacraments given by Jesus Christ to the church. And this is why we say the church is holy as well. This is why if there are, if there were, or are any saints in the world, It has been thanks to these means of sanctification 
which we find in the Catholic Church and were given to the Church by Jesus Christ. Now, here's an important clarification, of course, that you must be thinking about, and that is that this holiness of the Church does not mean that all her human members are necessarily holy. Jesus Christ did not promise that all the members of the Church would be holy. The faithful, the religious sisters, the religious monks and brothers, the priests, the bishops, and the Pope himself, all must strive to be holy, but they are not necessarily holy. And this is why we can find many examples throughout history where these members of the Church that I just mentioned have committed evil and sinned against God and sometimes gave grave scandal to others through their evil actions. Now, this is, shouldn't be a surprise to us because this happened right from the beginning, from the very beginning, among the same apostles that Christ himself chose, many sinned, and some of them very grievously. For example, Judas betrayed Christ and then committed suicide. St. Peter, the, the head of those 12 apostles, denied Christ blatantly and three times, and even cursing and all of the rest of the apostles abandoned him when he was arrested. However, thanks to the Holy Spirit, most of them later converted. They turned to God and later became saints. And many of them gave their lives, gave their lives for Jesus Christ, giving us a great example of holiness in spite of their previous weakness. And there we see the action of the Holy Spirit and the members of the Church. Now, in the third place, we said, that, we said that the Church is Catholic. So it's one, holy, and Catholic. By Catholic, we mean universal. That is, it is called to minister to the salvation of all men, regardless of their race or their nationality or political inclination. The Church is above all nationalities. It, go, it goes beyond all specific regions. The Church desires the salvation of everyone, regardless of their political choices, their philosophies, and their cultures. Of course, uh, for anyone to be Catholic, they must renounce anything that contradicts the teachings of Christ and the Church and embrace the truths taught by God. And this is very important, right? We need to convert to Christ. So as the Catechism says, we say that the Church is Catholic because the Church proclaims the fullness and the totality of the faith. She bears and administers the fullness of the means of salvation. She is sent out by Christ on a mission to the whole world and to the whole of the human race. Or as St. Paul writes to St. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And this is why then we say the, Catholic church, the church is, must be, is Catholic. Now finally, the fourth note of the Catholic Church 
is that the church is apostolic. And by apostolic, we mean that it was founded on the apostles. It is apostolic because the faith that the church teaches today has to be the same and actually is the same one that was received from the apostles in the first place. It is apostolic because the hierarchy, or if you want, the leadership, the bishops that are leading the church today are direct successors of the apostles. This is what we call the apostolic succession, that the bishops of today have been ordained by bishops that have been ordained by bishops that have been ordained by the apostles in a succession, we say. As the Catechism puts it in number 174, the church is apostolic in her origin because she has been built on the foundation of the apostles. She is apostolic in her teaching, which is the same as that of the apostles. She is apostolic by reason of her structure insofar as she is taught, sanctified, and guided until Christ returns by the apostles through their successors who are the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter. So you might have heard many times this term apostolic succession. I think it is a very important concept to understand. And it is, in a sense, a foundation of the Catholicity of the Church. So here's a brief explanation to bring our episode now to a close. Apostolic succession is a transmission by means of the sacrament of holy orders of the mission and power of the apostles to their successors, the bishops. So, thanks to this transmission, the Church remains connected or in communion of faith and life with its origin, with her origin, that is, with Jesus Christ and the apostles. So there is a continuity from the time of the apostles to the Catholic Church of today. At the same time, through this apostolic succession, the Church continues with the mission that Jesus Christ entrusted to the apostles, that is, to spread the kingdom of Christ on earth and to work for the salvation of all men. Now, I would also like to give you my personal advice in all this uh, concept of the Catholic Church and the four notes of the Catholic Church. And that is that there are many reasons one, uh, there are many reasons why one could argue against the Catholic Church. However, the greatest difficulty to be Catholic and to persevere and to persevere in being Catholic is our own unwillingness to give up our own opinions and to obey the authority that ultimately comes from Christ. I think that is the greatest stumbling block. So if we had a, an, a humble attitude and a desire to give up our personal ideas and embrace Christ, we would much more easily embrace the Catholic Church. Now on the other hand, I would also encourage you to remember always that it is thanks to the Catholic Church that we have the sacred scriptures because they were written and defended by the members of the Catholic Church from the very beginning. It is thanks to the Catholic Church that we have the Bible. It is thanks to the Catholic Church that we also have so many holy men and women to imitate and to have as our intercessors. It is thanks to the Catholic Church 
that we have the actual teachings of Jesus Christ handed over us, handed over to us through the centuries, thanks to the magisterium and the catechisms and the encyclicals and so many other um, gatherings and councils of the church. So it is a great grace and a great gift of God to be a member of the body of Christ, to be a member of the Catholic Church. So be grateful for that grace and do your best to be faithful, to be a faithful child of the church, your mother. May St. Josephat and so many other saints who worked and gave their lives for the union of all peoples under the one Catholic Church pray that we too may live and die faithful to this same Catholic Church. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, don't hesitate to send me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can, you can do me a favor, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so that others may be encouraged to listen as well. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.